And then I said, uh, will you sign these for me? And he said, uh, I will if you go get me a beer. Welcome to Painting Sports the Right Way. I'm Eli Painter. I'm Caden Wright. Today, we have a special guest and former jazz ball boy, Jared Fossen, on the show with us. Welcome to the show, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me on. This is, this is going to be fun. I'm excited to talk about my time with the jazz. Same. Jared was a ball boy on the Utah Jazz from 1997 to 1999. During his time as a ball boy, he met every player who played during those seasons, including Michael Jordan. In fact, he has a signed pair of shoes Michael Jordan wore in his last NBA Finals ever. Could you just lift him up and show us? Yeah, you bet. I, I've got the shoe right here. This is one of the shoes. You can see the uh, signature on the front of that. But yeah, I, I got that. Th those shoes were actually worn in game one of the 98 finals. Right. Um, but I didn't get them until game two. So generally what happens with, uh, you know, especially a player of Michael Jordan's caliber is they have a shoe deal and they, you know, somebody like Michael gets a new pair of shoes every game. So when they go on the road, they generally take a couple extra pairs of shoes just in case there's a problem with one of them and they need to switch it out or, or something. So like after game one, that's not really a good time to ask for a pair of shoes because, you know, if they only have a couple pairs, they probably, you know, they might want to keep a backup. So after game two, what happened is the guy that I worked with he um, talked to Michael. Michael gave him the game two shoes. And then uh, he came to me and he said, hey, I got the game two shoes, but the game one shoes are there. They're going back to Chicago. Like, you should ask for them. <laughs> so then I, uh, then I approached the, you know, Michael Jordan and asked if, if I could have the shoes. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And then I said, uh, will you sign these for me? And he said, uh, I will if you go get me a beer. <laughs> so, I mean, if you've seen The Last Dance, like, you know that that's kind of his, uh, <laughs> that, that's his life. He likes the cigars and uh, the drinking and so forth. So I ran as fast as I could to the jazz locker room because that's where they have, uh, you know, any alcohol. And I, and I grabbed just a bunch of cans, threw them in a bag, and went back. And, you know, I, I was basically like, hey, I'll get whatever you want me to get. Like, that's totally fine with me. Yeah. So then I, you know, I handed him the, the um, beer, and then he signed the shoes. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Sounds like you answered our first question before we even asked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had an idea what was coming, so I, I figured we'd, we'd just launch right into it. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I understand you're now trying to sell the shoes. So what's the process for selling the shoes? You know, there, there's a few different routes that you can go on this. Um, you can certainly try to sell them yourself. 
which I may end up doing. You know, I, I, I want to kind of look at all the options that I have. Selling them myself is going to be a little bit tricky in that you kind of have to be connected to some people that can actually buy them, right? Um, and, and that's where it's going to be a little bit tricky on my end. Uh, if, if you go that route, you can use an auction house. And the nice thing about using an auction house is they have access to those kinds of people and they can do the marketing for it and take care of all that stuff that I just probably wouldn't be able to do on my own. But the, the one problem with a, an auction house is they do get a pretty good cut of whatever the shoes go for. Hmm. Um, and, and we're talking probably like 20%, which, I mean, that's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I want to weigh all my options out before I decide on anything. Okay. That's, you know, that, that's kind of the, the routes you can go. Um, I, I mean, I guess you could put them on eBay, but I, given that these were worn in the finals, I, I just don't think that they would get what they could if they were on eBay, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you have any idea of like the price that they would be? <laughs> you know, I have no clue. I mean, they, they, they could go for five or 10,000 bucks or they could go for a whole heck of a lot more. Wow. Um, I do know that, that during the, when they showed the last dance, so when that came out like back in March and April, one of the auction houses sold um, a pair, and not this pair, but uh, you know, not from it, 97, 98. They sold a pair for five hundred and like sixty-five thousand dollars. Oh but, wow! Woo, so I, I mean, I, I don't think these shoes would warrant anything like that, but you know, that that's a pretty big price range in there. That is a big price range. <laughs> And what they could go for. So they are definitely kept in a very safe place. Uh, yeah, definitely. Don't want those getting stolen or anything. Oh, no. So of all the players you came into contact in the NBA, who are some of your favorites and why? Well, you know, let me give a quick disclaimer here. Like, first of all, the jazz players are always be my favorite. You know, we, I worked for um, the jazz. It started in, in uh, 96 to the 97 season. Then it was 97 to the 98. And then there was the strike short in 99 season. So I was there for three seasons. And you see the jazz every day, every time you go in. So, I mean, I, I liked all the jazz players, every single one of them. Um, John Stockton will always be my favorite. He, you know, and, and let me just say this, like he asked me my name the very first day that I was in there and he used it every time he addressed me. I, I can't say that about every other player. <laughs> so, some players would just, you know, kind of just say, Hey, come here. And they weren't as interested in 
you know, getting to know everybody's name, but, you know, John, you know, definitely did that from the start. Um, as far as like NBA players outside of the jazz, like my, my favorite will always be Charles Barkley. He, <laughs> he just, I don't know if you've seen any footage of him, like during the Olympics with the dream team, but like, he's just a man of the people and he'll go out and just talk to anybody. And he's just really friendly and really genuine as a person. Um, one of my other favorite guys, uh, was Lafonso Ellis. He, he played for a few different teams, mainly the Nuggets, but he was just a really nice guy. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I see with Western conference teams, they would come into the jazz arena twice every season. So if you work there three seasons, like you're going to see players a bunch. And if you see him in the playoffs, you see him even more. And, you know, like the second year I worked there, Lafonso saw me and he just ran up and gave me a big hug. Oh, and wow. Like, I can tell you, that, that's completely not normal. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but he was a really friendly guy as well. Uh, most NBA players were, were really good to me. That's good. Is what I would say. So... I know you've got some good stories about Charles Barkley and John Stockton. Would you mind sharing them? Sure. Uh, you know, my favorite Charles Barkley story was when we were actually playing them in that, in that 98 playoffs. And he was out of the game. So he's sitting on the bench. And uh, Rudy Tomjanovich, the coach of the – of Houston called a timeout. And and generally what happens in a timeout is the players that are not in the game, they stand up and get off the chairs. And the ones that are in the game come sit down. Well, Charles, you know, he was out of the game, so he's standing up, but he was right next to Coach Tom Jonovich, who was drying up a play on the on the whiteboard. And he, he draws up this play, kind of goes over what they're gonna do. When, when they go back from the timeout and then Charles grabbed the whiteboard from him and he erased the play and said, nah, that ain't going to work. And then he drew up a play for himself and put himself back in the game. <laughs> like that was, I've never seen anybody do that. And I can tell you that if he was on the Jazz, like Jerry Sloan might have just decked him right there. <laughs> Sounds like Sloan. Uh, Sloan would not have put up with that. But you know, th that was just Charles. Like I, and you know, like I remember because I really wanted to pay attention to that play because I'd never seen anybody do that, and the play went nowhere. Um, <laughs> I think actually Charles ended up turning the ball over. <laughs> um, so I, I really just think he just wanted to get back in the game, which I don't blame anybody for. That's a, so that, I mean, that, that's a quick Charles story, but here's, here's one that kind of combines Charles and John Stockton. Mm. So Stockton's kids were, um, they were always at, at the arena and, you know, because they're his kids, they have access to, you know, places that most of us would never get to go. And Michael Stockton just 
idolized Charles. And so when we were playing the Rockets, Michael was in their locker room. And he's just chatting away with Charles like they're long-lost friends. <laughs> and finally, Charles just looks over at him and just says, who are you anyhow? And, and he goes, well, I'm Michael Stockton. And he's like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. Like, I, I kind of figured you were one of John's kids. Um, but, <laughs> you know, there, there's certainly access that um, – the, the players and their families have that that's, you know, pretty cool. And they, you know, the NBA players among themselves have a pretty good collegiality and, and they, you know, for the most part, get along really well. Hmm. Uh, with, with Stockton, like I already mentioned, like he, he asked me my name the very first time that I met him. And um, he, he's just a pro's pro. Like, one thing I can tell you is that practice, Stockton led every drill, and he ran it like his um, effort or, or like his position on the team, like he was going to get cut if he didn't run hard enough. Hmm. So he just did every drill all out to to the maximum effort that he could. Like it – it was remarkable. Like, I, I mean, I've seen lots of teams practice and most star players, like they'll, they'll go at it, but not like that. Like John just went at every drill. Like, he just attacked it. Like it was his last drill. Wow. Um, you know, there was, <laughs> there was a time when, uh, this is, this is kind of an interesting story, but it tells you a lot about John and, and that's why I'll tell it. So, the, the guy that got me the job with the Jazz, he had done it from the time that he was like probably 10 or 11 years old until when he was about 20. Hmm. So he grew up with the Jazz. And, you know, he, he, he knew all the players really well, especially, you know, John and Carl, who were veterans with the team. And so he asked me, um, and he wasn't working for the Jazz when I did. So he approached me and said, hey, I've got a bunch of 8x10s of John Stockton. Will you have him sign these for me? And I was kind of like, well, I, I don't even have one of these pictures. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about this. Like, I, I didn't really ask John or Carl for autographs. I, I didn't want my relationship with them to ever be based on merchandise. So I just always tried to have real conversations with them and not try to sneak in there. Oh, and can you sign this for me too? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I tried to have as much of a, of a real relationship as I could with them. So I hadn't asked for much and it was a little bit frowned upon to get autographs. I mean, not completely like we, we would get stuff, but like with the jazz trainers, like they wanted you to talk to them first. But in this case, like I knew that I couldn't really talk to the jazz trainers about this because they would have said no. They would have said, no, we're not going to have, I mean, there was like 10 pictures and they would have just flat out denied me. Um, But I felt like I owed my friend a favor since he did get me the job. So I decided my best course of action was to talk to John about it. So before the game, 
I told Stockton, I said, hey, you know, my friend, and he knew him. He's, uh, he wants you to sign these for him. Is that going to work? Are you okay with that? And Stockton was like, yeah, just find me the, after the game and we'll take care of it. So I was pretty relieved about that, <laughs> um, that I wasn't going to have to go through the trainer to do it. But anyhow, after the game, John was in the Whirlpool, and I came walking by, and he said, hey, this is a good time. So I went in, in the back area, grabbed the pictures and a marker, walked over, and John started signing these. <laughs> And then the trainer came up and he's like, what are you doing? And I realized I didn't have a good answer and <laughs> that I was probably going to get in trouble for this, but I didn't have anything to say on the matter. I knew it was just going to get me in trouble. So I just froze and I didn't say anything. And it was quiet. I mean, I don't know. It certainly wasn't minutes. But it was longer than a few seconds. So, you know, it could have been up to like 15, 20 seconds, which is a really long time in that situation. <laughs> and then finally Stockton spoke up and he said, hey, don't worry about it. I asked him to, uh, to do this for me. And, you know, of course, whenever, you know, a player like Stockton says that, they, they just are like, oh, okay, no problem. So he walks off, and I know, like John Stockton just saved my bacon. And uh, he, he said to me, he, he goes, hey, you tell your friend that he better not sell these or I'm going to kick his butt because <laughs> I just saved yours. <laughs> and, and that was absolutely the case. Like, he totally saved my butt right there. I. I honestly, I mean, I don't think I would have got fired or anything, but I, I definitely would have gotten in trouble. Mm. And it's nice that we don't even have to know what would happen. <laughs> I bet. Those are some good stories. You know, and, and, I'll, and I'll say that John didn't have to do that, but he mm. did. And that, that tells you about his character. Yeah. So do you have any other good stories about any other players you'd like to tell us? Um... You know, there, there's. Uh, let me let me bring up a Michael Jordan story since we started out talking about his shoes. Um, there, there's nobody quite like Michael, <laughs> and I've met everybody in the NBA at that time. And you know, like the the star players like Shaquille O'Neal or Charles Barkley. Um, you know, they, when you're around them, like, you can, like, feel it. Like, wow, they're, they're a superstar and whatever. But, like, with Michael, he's at a different level than everybody else. So, like, when he walks in the room, like, everybody just kind of goes quiet. Um, he had his own wing of the locker room during the finals where he was all by himself. Now, that... That really doesn't ever happen. I had never seen it. I, I can't imagine it's happened since. But partly it's because Michael just, he just has that aura around him and all the reporters, all the press always want to talk to him. 
And it's actually better for the team to have him kind of in his own area than have to have all these people around all the time. So um, Michael just had his own wing of the locker room. <laughs> Anyhow, he, we, this was actually that same game too that I got, that I got the shoes from. He came in kind of near the, you know, close to game time. He'd been doing interviews and stuff. And so he was still dressed with a tie and a collared shirt. And there was a commercial that was playing, and, and you guys are too young to remember this commercial, but um, hopefully some of your listeners will know it. At the time, they, ran, they had a commercial that Craig Bowler Jack and this, the backup center for the Jazz, Antoine Carr, did. And it was called Show Me the Title. And it was based on the movie Jerry Maguire that was out at that time. And, and basically what would happen is Antoine Carr would say, show me the title, you know, back and forth with, with Craig Bowler, Jack. And it was kind of a fun commercial that they did. Mm. So the Jazz, the Jazz had won game one. So the Bulls were already kind of filling it. And if, if you watch the documentary, like, you know, like, it, that year for them had a lot of turmoil to it. So <laughs> Michael comes in, that commercial's playing, and it, it's kind of, the TV's like up high. So he reaches up after the commercial ends, and he turned off the TV, and he said, I'll show you the title. <laughs> And I knew right then and there that we were in trouble. <laughs> now, Michael might have added a couple words to that that I didn't that I didn't throw in there. Um, <laughs> but um, I knew the Jazz were in trouble game too. Now, I knew that anyhow. I, I'm not saying that's the reason that the that the Bulls played better, the Jazz lost or anything. But Michael was definitely motivated to win that game too. Mm. I see. And he, he he's just a competitive guy. I mean, I mean, if you saw the documentary, you know how competitive that he is. Oh, very competitive. So what, one of my um, other <laughs> favorite stories is with Alonzo Mourning, who at that time, he was uh, on the Miami Heat. I mean, Alonzo's an all-star player. He's really good, just a really good NBA player. Um, his, his career was actually cut short because of a medical condition that he had. But anyhow, at this time, he was, he was an all-star caliber player. And after the game, there was a lot of press that were hounding him. And, and the way that things worked, with the NBA press, at least back then, I don't know if things are different now, but the, the press would have to wait outside the locker room until like a certain amount of time. And then the PR guy for the team would open the door and then the press would come in and ask questions. And so Alonzo was still changing his clothes at the time, you know, from his uniform, he, he still hadn't gotten dressed to leave the stadium and the press started coming up and, and talking to him and asking questions. And Alonzo said, Hey, can you wait until, you know, I'm, I'm done changing. And 
I'll just tell you, they didn't. They just kept kind of hounding him. And finally, like, he really lashed at him. And I won't use any of the words that he said, but he <laughs> he got really upset and basically got himself out of doing any interviews the rest of the night. Um, but I got kind of nervous because <laughs> I just saw him chew the press out pretty good. And I didn't know how he was going to treat me after that. And so I was a little sheepish around him and he noticed that and he kind of grabbed me and he said, Hey, I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to treat you bad. You know, I'm not going to yell at you or say anything to you. You don't have to worry. You didn't do anything and you, you just do your thing. Like, don't worry about anything. And that was really reassuring that he noticed that I was uncomfortable. And he made mm -hmm. sure that he made me feel more comfortable after that. Um, and, that and that's what I mean. Like, most NBA guys were really good, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many guys would hand me a 20 and say, hey, will you go up and grab me a hot dog, you know, or something like that. And then you go, <laughs> you go get them a hot dog, and then they, you go to give them that change, and they say, oh, you know, just keep, keep the change. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, that, that happened all the time. Um, I will say there was one time, so one of the jazz guards at the time was Shandon Anderson and he, during his rookie year, anyhow, this may, during his rookie year, I was, um, finishing up my teaching degree at the university of Utah and I worked, um, in Salt Lake District, I worked as an after-school coordinator. And I always thought, man, like, what if I could get one of the jazz players to come and meet with the kids? Because we had, you know, I was over probably like um, 50 kids that really didn't have anywhere to go after school, so they stayed in this after-school program, and we provided activities for them. So I talked to Shannon about it and he, uh, he agreed and he came to, to Whittier Elementary in Salt Lake District and hung out with the kids, you know, for, for about an hour. And I mean, it was pretty cool that like he was willing to do that. So I, like I said, I, I think most NBA guys are, are really good guys. There, there's always those that aren't. And uh, I mean, if you want more details on that, we can go into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, remind me, how old were you when you uh, were a ball boy? So I, I had just come back from my mission. So I was like 21. And then by the time I was done, I was about 24. So I was a little bit older than most of the ball boys. Most of them probably were like 17 or 18. Um, and, and that actually was to my benefit because I could work the visiting locker room because you needed to be 21 in order to handle the alcohol. Um, and that's, you know, was very key in me being able to get uh, not just Michael's shoes. I have, I have quite a few pairs of shoes from NBA guys. And I wouldn't have been able to get as many if I'd been working in the jazz locker room. 
That makes sense. Yeah. So, how much do you follow the NBA now? Um, you know, this this year's been kind of weird, right? Because it got shut down. But I I really like the current Jazz team. I I think they're really good. Um, and I think that like Donovan or Rudy would have been perfect on that 97-98 team. I, I don't think the Bulls would have been able to beat the Jazz if, if they would have had Rudy, hmm. um, especially at center. So I, you know, I, I follow the Jazz right now pretty well. I, I thought, I thought that Donovan Mitchell has been fantastic in the playoffs so far. No kidding. I mean that that first game. I mean to have the third highest scoring ever, ever in the NBA playoffs. Like that's amazing. But I really felt that the last game might have been a better performance because he didn't force anything. He totally included his team. And, like, the Jazz just ran him out of the building in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But, I, you know, one thing I will say is I do follow the NBA less. Um, I don't pay attention as much to other teams. Um, I still follow the Jazz a lot but i you know i'm i yeah i i just don't have the same following that i used to for the rest of the nba i see uh yeah that would um so is there anything else you'd like to tell us about your ball boy experience um you know, like, if, if you want to know, like, what things were like, like, I, uh, generally, we would have to get there probably three hours before the game. And um, we would be there for, like, shoot around and when guys wanted to go out and practice. Um, and then, because I worked the visiting team, especially that second and third year so much, um, I would be in the in the visitors locker room and just make sure that the the opposing team got in all right, that they were taken care of during the game. Um, one of the big perks that we got is we got to eat with the coaches and the press, so we would get dinner <laughs> every Jazz game. And I mean, you're kind of in a it's a pretty unique setting because there's all the reporters and there's all the coaches. And that the year, that 98 year, you might remember from the documentary, like they talk about how Jerry Krause, who was the Bulls general manager, told um, Phil Jackson that he wasn't going to bring him back at the end of the season. And I happened to be, this wasn't in the playoffs. This was during the regular season. I was sitting at a table all by myself having dinner and Phil Jackson came and sat down, like not right next to me, but maybe a seat away. And then the rest of the bull staff sat at, at the remainder of the table. And they just were railing on Jerry Krause that he had made that statement and that they weren't going to keep that coaching staff at the end of the year. And I just remember sitting there eating dinner, just being like, I can't believe that I'm I'm in this setting right now that I'm having dinner with 
Phil Jackson and Tex Winter and the rest of the Bulls coaching staff. And <laughs> they're talking very um, candidly about their dislike for Jerry Krause. <laughs> You know, so there were there were things like that that were that were pretty fun. Um, when the when the Jazz would go on the road, so for instance, like if we had because I only worked home games, so like after the game, if the if the Jazz were remaining at home, like things weren't a big deal. Like you just go about cleaning up normally, but if the Jazz had to get on the road, then that means a lot of stuff had to be done really quick before they got out of the building. And so we would wash all the jerseys and try to take care of that as best we could. But one of the things that we liked to do was go play basketball on the court. Oh. So we would get done with our duties and everything that we needed to. And while we were waiting for the wash, because we had to have the wash completely done before we left, we'd go out and play ball. (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of fun. I mean, obviously there weren't any fans there, but, you know, for us, it, it was a pretty big deal to be able to shoot out there with, uh, you know, at, at the stadium. And that NBA three-pointer, man, that is a long shot. Looks like so it. These guys, these guys that can hit it without any problem, like that is a that is a skill that they've worked on. You know, so it, working the games, they after that first, because during the first year I was under the hoop a lot and I had to wipe the sweat off on the court and that's, I don't know, that wasn't my favorite thing. Sometimes you would hand out um, water or Gatorade to the players when they'd come off the court or go grab their um, warm-up uniforms uh, when they went into play and everything. Um, but I loved working the opposing team. Like it was, It was just a lot of fun to be able to have a front row seat basically and see how the coaches and the players interacted with each other. Um, that, that was always pretty cool to be right there for hmm. and to be in the locker room before the games and hear them talk, you know, just amongst themselves. And, you know, for the most part, they're just regular people. That's just their job, right. Uh, to play basketball. And they, you know, they had a lot of the same, uh, fears and desires that anybody else has um, in life. They and they just have more access and more money than most of them. Do. <laughs> so, uh, but most of the coaches were were pretty cool. I I do remember a time. Do you guys know Pat Riley? Pat Riley. I think I've heard of him. Maybe. So Pat Pat Riley, he played in the NBA for the Lakers. And then he coached the Lakers. So when they talk about like Magic Johnson, um, when he played for the Lakers and like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Pat Riley was their head coach when they won all those titles. Then after that, Pat Riley went and coached the New York Knicks for a while. Um, And that's when I kind of came into the picture, he was coaching the Knicks. So he wasn't coaching the the Lakers. But Pat Riley is one of the all-time famous coaches. He's also kind of known as like a really fancy dresser. And before the game, he came up to me and he's like, Hey, is there any way that I can get my suit pressed before the game? And I was like, no, we don't have anything like that. 
in the stadium, like in, in the arena. Like there's nothing I can do for that. And he's like, what am I going to do? I'm the GQ coach of the NBA. And my <laughs> suit looks a little wrinkled right now. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're Pat Riley. You should be able to figure this out. Like, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, you know, like, we, I interacted with coaches and with the trainers. And I, I would say, like, a team like the Rockets that we saw a lot because they were in the Western Conference and we played them in the playoffs. Like, I knew all the players pretty well, um, you know, as well as you can know them, right, like in, in a setting like that. You know, so that that was always kind of fun when they recognized you and, you know, would just talk normally to you instead of just, like, ordering you around to do stuff. <laughs> um, and I, I I tried to have conversations with them. You know, I was, a little, like I said, I was a little bit older, so I wasn't scared of them. Some, some of the other ball boys were just terrified to even talk to them. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I... I was a little older and I would just chat them up and talk to them about their college. One of my favorite questions to ask them was what perks they had when they played college ball and like what, if they got money under the table, if they got cars and stuff like that. Um, so I, I always wanted to know that information and sometimes they'd tell me sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I, I did hear some interesting stories that they had. Who were some of the players that told you that they got some underhand money during college? Well, I <laughs> I don't know that I could totally remember that, but there was always somebody on every team that had a story to tell. I see. I'll just say that. like, it, it, it was prevalent enough that there was always somebody that got something like that. Okay. Um, one thing I'll tell you though, like this is, here's a funny story for you. Now, do you guys know who Elton Brand is? I don't. So he's the current general manager for the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, okay. He played uh, like one year at Duke and he was the college player of the year. He was a really good basketball player. Um, his pro career, he got injured and it never quite went the way that I think everybody thought it would. But when I, when I met Elton Brand, it was during the uh, summer league, uh, you know, the Rocky Mountain Review. That was also one of the perks is, uh, of being a ball boy is we got to work the summer league. And so you worked with like a team for like two or three weeks. And you got to meet all the new rookies and – players trying to make a roster. It, it was a really cool atmosphere. Sounds like it. So anyhow, I um, <laughs> had I was working the Minnesota Timberwolves that year, and Will Avery, who was a college teammate of Elton Brand, um, <laughs> well, this is kind of funny. He was borrowing, like, my uh, – I think at the time it was a, it wasn't a Nintendo. It might've been a Sega Genesis or something like that. So he, no, it was a PlayStation. That's what it was. So he borrowed my PlayStation and I went over to his uh, hotel room and helped him set it up and everything. 
And then Elton Brand showed up. Now, Elton Brand, I mean, like I said, he was the college player of the year. Like, he's big time. He was the number one pick in the draft. And he comes walking in the room, and he sees me, and he just comes up, and he's like, hi, my name's Elton. What's your name? <laughs> you know, and I, I just always thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> now, this, this is where the story gets really funny is they didn't have any way to get around back then other than, like, taxis. And this is before Uber. This is before, you know, stuff like that. So at the time, I was driving a little Ford Escort, and that's a tiny little car. And these guys wanted to go out at night, and so they're like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Do you want to hang out with us, and, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll go out? So I was like, okay. You know, like, it's not every day that NBA players are asking me to hang out, you know. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think I mentioned that Elton left after his freshman year. So he was, he was only like 19 at the time. He might've been 20. So I was older than he was by a couple of years. And Will Avery also did the same thing. So he was the same age as Elton. They wanted to go to a nightclub. <laughs> well, you have to be 21 to get into any nightclub. Right. So, I don't think they realized that when we first got there. So we pull up, I'm in this, <laughs> I'm driving Elton Brand sitting in the front, Will Avery's in the back. We pull up um, and they have valet parking. And so Elton pays for the valet parking, <laughs> which was funny. And then uh, we get out and we walk up to the line to get into this club. Now I knew that I could get in um, and I hadn't even considered that they couldn't. Oh. <laughs> and as we get closer up in line, like they realized they didn't have the ID to get in. And so they got out of line and I was like, you know, what's going on? And they're like, we're not old enough. We can't go in. And it was just so crazy that here's, you know, two NBA players that were, I mean, Elton Brand made a ton of money. And he even said, he goes, I could buy that nightclub right now but I can't go into it. <laughs> and so we ended up leaving and going somewhere else. But that was, that was just kind of a crazy experience to be with a couple NBA players and not being able to go, you know, into a nightclub like that. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I can buy the nightclub, but I can't go in it. Yeah, that, that's what he said. It was pretty memorable. Um, there was another time, this will be completely different, but one of, one of my favorite NBA guys as well was David Robinson. And at the time, David was, uh, I, he only played for the San Antonio Spurs. But you may not know this, but Carl Malone was famous for elbowing guys <laughs> during the game. Like, I would say almost every game, Carl would elbow somebody. And, you know, not, not everybody wants to be elbowed in the face with a Carl Malone elbow, you know? <laughs> Anyhow, in this particular game, Carl hit uh, David Robinson so hard with his elbow, like right here on the side of his temple, that he knocked him out. Oh. Just knocked him clean out. And 
they eventually revived him, and David went into with the trainer to the jazz locker room. They didn't even go into the visiting locker room, and I was in there. So I was. It was me, and the doctor, the trainer, and David Robinson. And that was it. And they they asked David. They said, "Hey, do you know where you are?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm in Salt Lake. I, I know that. And then they asked him, can you, can you tell me what day it is? And David was like, no, I, I don't have any idea. And they said, well, we want you just to tell us what day you think it is. And I remember, I don't remember what day he said, but I, I do know that he was completely off in the day that he picked. <laughs> and it was very clear that, you know, like David had a concussion. He was out the rest of the game. He probably, you know, didn't play the next game. I don't remember. But that was pretty wild um, to be in the locker room right then and there. Yeah, I bet. Um, one of my favorite moments overall was uh, in, that, in that 98 finals. So it was game one. And you remember I, I told you that the Jazz won game one. Well, I was working the Bulls locker room, and they asked me to go grab some. I can't remember. It wasn't beer, but they asked me to go grab something from the Jazz locker room. So I hustled over there, and I walked in the door, and Jerry Sloan was still addressing the team. So I, I just stopped where I was, but I was in, in the room. I could hear him. And, you know, Jerry's a tough guy. Like, he really is. But I, I always thought, like, man, if you were around him, he was just such a genuinely nice guy. And you, didn't, you don't always get that from the game because in the game he just wanted to win and he was tough. But after the game, you know, Jazz had won, and he just was so complimentary to the players. And he, he was saying things like, I hope you guys really believe and know that you can beat this team. We can win. Like, we can win this series. We can beat the Bulls and be the champs. And I, I don't think most people saw that side of Jerry Sloan. And so it was pretty cool to be there in that moment and hear him giving, like, that classical motivational speech that you hear you know, coaches give, and there's Jerry Sloan addressing his team, talking about the the world champ Chicago Bulls that they could beat them, and really almost did, like so close both both times. So that that's one of my favorite memories is that. Okay. Yeah, I feel like in general Jerry Sloan has that very tough guy no mess attitude but it's interesting to hear uh, you talk about his softer side because I don't think many people realize that like you said yeah and and I'll tell you this like I got to go down to St. George um, they used to do the jazz um, training camp so before the season they did the jazz training camp back then in St. George and I got to go down there um, with the team and I remember after practice one day, like, 
the coaches were like really excited about what had happened. And like Bill Johnson and Jerry Sloan came up and just gave me a hug. Like huh. they, you know, and I don't, I don't think most people think of Jerry Sloan doing that, but he was always just such a nice guy. And, you know, it's, it's only been a few months since he passed away, but he was as much a part of that team as the players were, you know, like, I think most people always think about Stockton Malone, but I, I don't think you can take Jerry Sloan out of that equation. I see. And people, people certainly recognize that. Uh, this and like the bubble in the playoffs, they wear the patches for him on their jerseys with uh, the amount of wins he had. Yeah, I mean, he when you think how long he was with the jazz and the number of wins that they had, like they went to the playoffs every year, you know, I mean, the jazz were really good. Yeah. All right. That was former jazz ball boy, Jared Fawson. Thanks for being on the show, Jared. You bet. That was great. Um, And if you ever want to talk, NBA again, like we, I can come back on and we, we can talk about things. I'd be happy to do that. Um, but thanks for letting me come on here. You guys are doing a great job. I love that you created this podcast and have a place where you two can kind of talk about how things are going. And then, and then anybody can find this and be able to listen to it and, and hear your thoughts as well as get to know what's going on in not only the NBA, but sports in general. Hey listeners, as you just heard, that was Jared Fawson. Thanks for listening to this episode. And just a reminder to submit your questions to our email address, paintingsportsthewrightway at gmail.com or Eli Painter's phone number. See you there.